before we get started, I want to take the opportunity to talk to you about our partner for this podcast, Famigo, formerly known as BravoPay. Famigo is a marketplace and payment platform for musicians and content creators like streamers, sports influencers, personal trainers, and, well, podcasters. You can create a fan page and set up shop offering physical and digital products as well as premium subscriptions. It's easy to share with others on your social media so that, for the rest of you, can support your favorite creators. Check it out at Famigo.com. I'll leave more info in the description. You're listening to The 80-20 Show, an inside look into the music industry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The 80-20 Show. I am your wonderful host, Mike Zimmerlich, and my next guest is Mark Mundansky, product manager for Fearless Records. Now, I had such an amazing time with Mark, learning all about his incredible path from playing in bands to landing an assistant position in the Recording Academy, or more known as the Grammys, leading him to the head of the alternative rock metal category for the awards event, the Grammys. It was such an amazing story that he has to tell all about his entire experience with that. And this is all before transitioning over to Fearless Records. We talk about the insights into the Recording Academy, as well as how the Grammys work. In addition to that, what it's like to collaborate with artists at the label level. Not gonna lie, there is so much we dived into here, and I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. It is my pleasure to give you Mark Mutnansky. (laughs) Hey Mark, how's it going today? What's up, Mike? How you doing, man? Doing great, thanks. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. I am so grateful to you. I really appreciate the invitation and somehow desire to hear anything that comes out of my mouth. But thank you. I am very happy to be here. I appreciate it. Absolutely. You know, it's funny too, like we, before this interview, we've only spoke once before then. And it was not too long ago too. It was only about a week or two prior to this uh, interview. So look at us now. Right. Like we're like, it's just like we know each other for years. Old souls. Right. It's crazy. And I do want to mention too, uh, I do want to do a quick shout out to um, Mike. I won't necessarily mention his last name out of respect, but I do want to mention about Mike because he is the one who uh, connected us together and he runs uh, sound, a lot of live sound uh, here in town in Phoenix and a number of venues. And the reason why I want to mention this is for a couple of reasons. One, uh, if you're listening to this, Mike, thank you so, so much. I really do appreciate it. Love you, Um, baby. And second of all, the reason why is that there is a few cardinal rules when it comes to the music industry. And one of those cardinal rules is always be nice to the sound guy. 100% of the time. And the bartenders. And the bartenders too. That's true. We'll loop in pretty much anybody who runs the venue be nice to you, but especially the sound guy, because first of all, like he's the one who's controlling what you sound like up on stage. So if you're a problem, he can very easily make you sound bad. So experience lies entirely with that man or woman. Yep. hundred percent. So always be nice to the sound guy uh, or, or, or gal. We'll put the sound person. That's probably better. Sound person. Thank you. And uh, two, you never know who people know in the industry. So here we are. Here we are. But yeah, Mike, Mike is my best friend and the whole planet. He connected me and Mike here and clearly all mics are angels. So I um, am very happy to be here. Well, same thing is true with Marks. So thank you. <laughs> so speaking of, uh, you know, speaking of getting everyone speaking together. Of angels. 
Yeah, thinking of angels. Who's your uh, favorite? I don't know how this we're gonna segue this, but we're gonna segue <laughs> anyway. Um, so uh, how did you get started in music, by the way? Um, were you like were you a musician? Like, you know, what got you interested in in being in the industry? So yeah, I think um, so I I've been playing music since um, I was in fourth grade and, and I was born in Chicago in a suburb. And in Illinois, their music programs start in fourth grade. So in third grade, they make you try out all the instruments in the gym or whatever. And I kind of think I already knew I was going to play trumpet because I, my godfather, my uncle who has passed away since, um, was a gigging trumpet player. He played on a, um, on a casino boat in Chicago that like went down the river and he was part of the band for many, many years. And sadly, I think actually it was that gig that led to his, um, his cancer that he passed away from because he was around the smoke and indoors and small environment for, for a long time. But I think I already knew I was going to be a trumpet player. And he said to me once as a kid, when I thought this, I think this is so funny now as an adult, I remember being like, Uncle Jim, he also played guitar, like Uncle Jim, like, what should I play? Like, these are all the options. And he's like, let me tell you something, Mark. He's like, trumpet players make great kissers. And I, I didn't even get it at the time. You know, I didn't even know you use your tongue when you play a, you know, an instrument like that. But um, I just think of that fondly now. But anyways, um, so I started playing really young. And when I moved to Arizona, um, which is when I met our shared Mike, um, they only began a band in sixth grade at the high school I went to. So I had two years um, head, you know, on uh, what's the word? I had a two year head start on everyone in my class when it came to band. So I, you know, out the gate was like the best trumpet player in band. Um, and I think probably it all really, my, my band friend circle, they were really obsessed with music. And I think it just made me realize like, you can, if you can have a career doing this, like that is definitely what I want to do. It makes me happy. I'm super nostalgic. Like I still like hear songs and think about very specific moments as a young person. And um, yeah, I don't even know if I fully answered your question, but I, I knew very young. And I remember going to college at the U of A and um, knowing, oh, and I was in bands. I was in many bands, one with Mike actually. And I remember we had got some random record deal um, when I was maybe a senior in high school. And I don't even remember what the label was. It was definitely a scam, definitely not real. But I remember taking it so serious and be like, mom, dad, I'm not going to school. I'm gonna be in a band and tour the planet and be famous. And um, they were like, let's just have this as a backup plan. And I'm obviously, so glad that happened because Mike and I, uh, Mike's and my band, um, we were beautifully terrible and uh, uh, it would not have worked out in that iteration of playing. But um, yeah, so I went to school. And at the time that U of A did not offer a music business core, uh, uh, major, which I certainly would have taken if it existed, but it all worked out anyways. So here we are. Yeah, same here. It's amazing. And I really appreciate that. It looks like that a lot of universities are now providing music business programs. And I'm really grateful for that fact. And yeah, yeah so it would have been nice to have those back then. But the fact that they are aware of and treating it, you know, as, you know, as an industry, as a business, and knowing that there's so much interest there and now providing programs, it, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing to have. Well, all music, right, has become very, um, uh, uh, can, what's the word I'm looking for? Anyone can make music at a production, at a high production level now, you know, at home on your computer, you know, you just need like a MIDI player and like a piano or something, or, I mean, I don't, you know, you can produce anything. Um, so it is really good. And obviously we all know in our, in our world, all the success comes from the relationships anyways. So I think 
what I would have loved to have the opportunity for having a, a, a education specific to music business would be establishing relationships earlier, you know, and, and in some way them kind of being brought to you, you know, cause at the time I had to do all of the, I mean, I cold called hundreds of people. I sent thousands of emails. I mean, I really did. And very few people ever replied, obviously. Um, so, so were you the one that was running the band then at the time? Were you the person that was doing all the outreach, like contacting press and trying to set up shows? You know what? It was Mike. It was Mike. Was really? Mike was the one. For sure. Yeah. I was the newest member of that band. They were already a band. Um, the bass player um, moved. I uh, didn't move. He just like moved on or didn't want to do it anymore. And so I filled in. So I was the, the newest. I was the rookie. Actually, in every band I've ever been in, I was the rookie ever. I was always like an addition. I never like formed a band with anyone at the same time because you were just so much in demand just everybody wants you to be in their project yeah no regrets <laughs> though no regrets <laughs> okay so being in a number of bands and nothing really kind of taking off yet uh but you still wanted to have some sort of role in the music industry so i think exactly i think what i learned is that i loved to play music but i always knew i was i was very good at trumpet but I didn't want to play trumpet professionally. I, I picked up bass because my best friend at the time was playing trumpet and picked up a bass. But I was never really great at it. I still am not. I, I mean, I, I love to perform, but like there are plenty of, I mean, I'm just not a very great bass player. I'm a good bass player. So I think I learned young that I was like, you know what? Like, I'm not amazing at this. I, I am so busy with other things. I'm not going to give it like 100% of the time like I did when I was younger learning trumpet or something. So let's go get a degree. Let's get a business degree. I think that'll be useful in music and I'll, I'll find the creative angle, which would be marketing. Um, and it's funny because for many years after graduating, I didn't have anything to do with marketing. And now at present, my current career is entirely marketing. So it feels like it's kind of come full circle for me a little bit. So then got your degree then from, from U of A. And then what, what made, you know, at that point in time, what were your thoughts of as far as where you wanted to go next, as far as being in the music industry? Were you looking for, you know, were you looking for jobs? Like what, what were you doing at that point in time? So all I could think about, I could not just wait to, to get to Los Angeles. It's the only thing I could think about, you know, keep in mind, I mean, I, I'm 35. So Facebook was like invented when I was a freshman in college. And you know, it was a thing, don't get me wrong, but it, social media wasn't like it is today. Like we had cell phones, but again, it was, they were literally for calling and texting, right? Yeah. And texting was like, if you wanted to send like a C, you had to hit one three times. Three times. And to, it was like 10 cents a text or something. Yeah. You, know? you had to be careful how many texts you send. And, and you had to I, be careful how many that you received. You got charged for those. That's yeah, true. <laughs> so when people like send you like multiple messages, you're like, oh, oh, no. what are you, what are you doing to me? Ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. <laughs> but um I totally just lost my own train of thought from your question. I'm sorry, Mike. Say it again. No, so you were making a decision about, you know, oh. you know I will move out to LA. Couldn't wait to get to LA. I just knew like that's where I, I had to be if I was gonna had any chance of like taking in-person meetings um and just you know flirting with everyone and anyone I could to just get in the door. And I I was like so excited to be um, an assistant, uh, I just couldn't wait. And I was like, am I going to be a famous person's assistant? Am I going to be an executive's assistant? Um, you know, that's just all I wanted to do. Cause I knew I had to learn. So I was reading a lot of books about music 
and I was listening to so much music and I was listening to a lot of stuff that I didn't grow up on because I just I knew I needed to have a better baseline understanding of of um, more mainstream rock um, you know and pop I guess is what I was so I was just like consuming and then digesting and um, yeah but it's funny though right because because you reach out to people who don't know you. And now I'm sure you experience this all the time too. When you get those emails, I do feel this like desire to want to help and respond because a lot of people paid it forward. I would, I want to pay it forward. I got a lot of opportunities eventually from a lot of people who didn't know me at all and they took a risk. And so I, I, I try to keep that in mind too. Like when I get these cold emails, which I get a lot now because my email is public on our, on our site. Um, I try to like, you know, as long as it's not like rude or, or really just weird, I try to at least be like, Hey man, like, you know, if try this or, you know, reach out to this person or I don't know, just try to pay it forward. Absolutely. And that's something that I think is really important because I know I hear this all the time, especially with uh, our internship uh, team, as well as uh, some artists who are just getting started, they're always afraid of reaching out to people. And especially for those who are, you know, because, you know, especially, you know, now that you're working at Fearless Records, I mean, Fearless Records is a very well-known label. And so I mean, people are fears, like, yeah. sometimes are, are afraid to reaching out because they don't, you know, they fear that rejection, right? Of, you yeah. know, what happens if they say no, what happens if I make a fool of, out of myself? And, you know, I can assure you, and this, because as many people as I reached out to at all levels, people who are, you know, that are highly influential in the alternative rock community, yeah. and as well as, you know, everything in everything in between is that the, the, the people who are, I find at least are the most successful are the ones that fully understand that they started where you are now. Oh, and absolutely. they understand that and they want to pay it forward. They may not be able to have the time. So, you know, and that's the difference is that there's a difference between them not wanting to respond to you and that you're just low priority because they have other things they need to do and right. they can't you know and sometimes they will forget or whatever the case is and that's because you know that just happens and it's unfortunate but it does happen with all the for the best yeah. of us and but in general though people most people legitimately want to to help you and to at least you know, give you some sort of advice or guidance or something along those lines to you know for your journey because they were in your shoes and on top of that too is the reason why those people are successful is because they all know that every single person, you don't know who that person is going to do later in life. You do not know who's going to be the next biggest thing or going to create the big next biggest company. And, yeah. you know, just that, you know, kind advice or those kind words or just that little favor goes such a long way for when you're just getting started. And we all know this. Yes, a hundred percent. And something you said that I do, I want to touch on too, because it's so true is any president, I mean, there are outliers, of course, let's say most executives, presidents, um, anyone who's really grinded and made their way to where they are, you know, they started at the bottom and you know, they started in the mailroom or as an assistant because they know every aspect of the business. And that's the only way you get it. And that's why those jobs are important. They seem like, and some people look at them like, oh, the mailroom, or you know why the mailroom's great? Because you walk around the entire building and you meet every single person in that company. You know why being an assistant's great? Because you set up meetings for that person with every other executive in your company or, or you know, or something similar, you know? So starting at the bottom is, is a fantastic way to establish yourself. 
um, and make a great first impression with everyone who would make a decision for your future if you were in that space. And like you said, they all know each other anyways. You know, for being such a big business, the the world and the community isn't. It's it's a pretty small community. Everyone kind of knows everybody. It's true. I find that the the farther up that I went in the chain, the smaller things got. <laughs> it's I like, mean, you know, because yes. you're right. Like everybody, it's like so funny because I'll be like, oh, you know, so-and-so person. Oh, cool. I know that person too. And it truly is. It It is truly a very small community when, you know, when you really think about it. It is. So speaking of uh, starting from the bottom, you were trying to, you mentioned about trying to find any job whatsoever uh, as an assistant position. Oh, yeah. uh, so uh, now, first of all, did you, you moved out to LA already to trying to find this, correct? So you went out there without a job lined up. So yeah. So I first through a friend of a friend, I had this like this amazing networking tree um, that I handmade a long time ago of like, this is my friend who has a connection to a movie studio. And then that person connected me to the HR person at the studio. And then that person introduced me to her best friend who was an artist. And then that artist introduced me to the recording engineer who recorded her, who happened to be um, a guy who worked on the Grammy camp team at the Grammys, you know, and that this is actually a real, this is a real um, networking, one of the arms of my tree that I was building, which is how I'm where I am now. And that guy, um, his name is Nate. Um, he ended up becoming my roommate, a best friend. I was in a band with him for years um, and, and, and coworker at the Grammys. Um, because of that, that just, I moved here. I didn't know anyone and that's how it got started. And um, I ended up being this assistant to this artist. Her name was Kelly Slattery, like love her to death. I was her personal assistant for a, a handful of months. I would literally just live at her house and get her life organized while she was doing X, Y, and Z. And um, I ended up volunteering for a Grammy week event via Nate. Um, La they usually set their their volunteers they organize them months in advance i mean months in advance and then they overbook for like attrition or you know and so it was like days before grammy week and i guess internally they were like does anyone know anybody who is excited motivated will work for free and hustle for you know 16 hours at this event and nate he's like i know a guy we had never met ever we had like two phone calls he's like i know a guy his name's Mark. I just talked to him on the phone. Like he would definitely do this. He called me and I was like, yes, I'll be there at 6am. I'll pick up the step and repeat from the dry cleaners. Had no idea what a step and repeat was um, <laughs> like had no clue. I was like, hey, I'm here for the step and repeat. And then they brought this massive roll of fabric that I had to fit in my 1991 Honda Accord. Anyways, it, you know, I, I'm so fond of those memories now. I'm at the time I was just so excited and I was so broke and scared and um, but yeah, I'm sorry. Your question was about coming here. I did not have a job. I had a couple of interviews I flew out for that I bombed fantastically. One was with Dr. Phil, blew it. Um, one was at a production company called MRC, Media Rights Capital. They're still around. Um, again, they were both like TV and film related, but I was like, I just need to get a paycheck so then I can pursue music. You know, that was like, and let me tell you, for so many people who live in LA who are trying to get jobs and who actively live here, like that's who you're up against. So I had to like lie about, I put, I changed the address on my resume to my aunt's house who lives nowhere near here, but she's in California. I had to do all these weird things just to like try to make myself look hireable, you know? 
but really it was that volunteer experience that ended up making it happen for me because then that got me an interview um, to be an, an executive assistant at the Grammys. That's fantastic. So Sorry, I'm being so wordy and talky. No, no, this is this is amazing. And you know, it's it's you know, it's it's important to know like that the fact that you, you know, you actually went through and did all these interviews, but the one that got you in was when an opportunity came an to you to work for free to yeah. work during Grammy week, and that's what got you the job. You're so right. And I wanted and to that point, like I, I do speak to some students I could send my way from U of A um now and again and uh, I think students or young, or young people, myself included, want to know like a step-by-step, what do you do? And then what do you do? And then what do you do to make X happen, right? And I think the lesson that I've learned and I've heard it from a hundred people here is no two paths to how they got are the same. None of them. Yep. Just about not giving up. That is truly all it is. You have to outlast everybody else. You know, you just do. If you want this job, like, Someone told me this a long time ago in archaeology, which is something I love, by the way, I'm like obsessed. Um, in archaeology, the dream goal is to be a curator at a museum, right? But how many museums are there? There are not a lot. You know, there are not compared to how many archaeology students there are, there are none, right? So the only way to become the curator, especially at one of the biggest museums on the planet, is literally waiting until that person passes away or is just too old to even do the job anymore. So it's just like, it's about patience and out, you know, just being dedicated to what your goal is, you know? And enjoying the journey too. I think the you mentioned the fact yeah. of how excited you are. And that's the thing. It's like, it's, it, it is a long struggle and, yeah. you know, you have to appreciate the journey and enjoy those times when, you know, when you're picking up a step and repeat when you don't know what a step and repeat is and throwing it into your, into your car. Picking out and... both ends of my car window. I looked like <laughs> so silly. I, I didn't even know what it was even when I had it. I was like, it's just a bunch of fabric. What is this? <laughs> but that's the thing, right? And, and that's, you, you, you take the opportunities when they come your way as much as you can. You may not be able to always do it, but when you have the ability, you know, even if you don't even know where it's going to lead you. I, I mean, I always say yes, as yeah, often I, as I can. I agree with you 1000%. Say yes. You know, say yes, as long as you're comfortable and it doesn't put you in danger. Like, say yes, you're going to learn something. And if you don't, you'll have a story. Um, and you've made, even accidentally, a relationship, a connection that you never know when that's going to come back around and, and be a thing. I mean, you never know. Absolutely. So let's talk about the Grammys. Because this is a great topic. Um, so, uh, so first of all, also to uh, to clarify, I'm also a member of the Recording Academy. So, uh, because I'm in the, Service. yeah, think oh, my pleasure. It's a honestly, it was one of those things where I never thought uh, I would be eligible to join. Because first of all, you know, think about the Recording Academy. You think of the Grammys, and you're thinking of, okay, well, you're one thinking night. about, hmm. I'm sorry, you're thinking about one night. You're thinking about you think about that one night, yeah. and even as an organization as a whole, you're thinking like multi-platinum selling producers or yes, things yes. like that. You're not even thinking record labels, even you're just thinking about producers and, and artists really that yeah. are part of this organization. And even if labels, then it's like again, well, okay, if you, you sold like a million units, then sure you can join. And found out that was not the case. Yeah. And uh, so uh, and that was through a colleague of mine, um, Jordan, actually, um, who I uh, interviewed on the podcast as well earlier, Jordan from uh, Jane the Jungle. She said she encouraged oh. me to apply. And 
uh, I was able to get accepted and become a part of the Recording Academy. So being both as a member now, and also love your insight on this, is that, you know, Mike, my thought of the Recording Academy was as such that it was a very elite group of members that are part of it, but also too that really that there were the only thing they did was the Grammys every single year, right. which is Absolutely. completely the opposite of the truth. So, I'm, so I'm curious, is that something that you've heard on your end? Like, what are some misconceptions that you've heard over the years about uh, the Recording Academy and even the Grammys itself? Absolutely. So I actually, um, this was a very big talking point for me in, in a lot of interviews I went on, a part of like what the job was. And just for, you know, for listeners, I, I was an, an assistant for a couple of years and then I um, moved up and I became, um, I, I ran the library, which was fully just for the awards submission process. And after doing that for a few years, I ended up being the head of rock and alternative and metal, um, you know, mostly specifically as it related to the awards process. But to this conversation, I spent a lot of time um, educating artists and um, producers, engineers, mixers, all kinds of engineers um, on the process. But what the Grammys also has to offer as far as services and programs and communities um, and and other events that are not just music's biggest night, uh, which to which there are many, um, many, many all the kids programs, the addiction recovery programs. I mean, they do a lot of really great work um, for a lot of people. Um, But yes, I will tell you that most people believe, you and I were talking about this on our last call, that the Grammys, um, the employees just pick the nominees, just pick the winners, which is entirely false. Um, They think that the Grammys and their membership is entirely for, you know, Beyonce and everyone at that level, which is entirely not. I guess other conceptions I'm trying to think of are, um, I think a lot of people don't realize also that it is a uh, global organization. You know, they have chapter offices across the entire United States. Um, It is not just a a Hollywood, LA, you know, that's where their head office is, of course. Um, But it's actually very national, very, very national and certainly global. Um, And how many, and um, when you when you were working for them, do you remember how many like members like ballpark that were? Yeah. Um, I'm sure anyone that's still there, my friend still works, forgive me if I have any of this wrong. I, and you know, full disclosure, I haven't been there for three years, but, um, when I was there, I believe the, the, um, the general membership, I think was somewhere in the 20,000 uh, member range, but I think the voting membership was maybe half of that maybe. Yeah, that sounds um, that sounds about right. And I know I have that stat somewhere too for myself, so I should probably do my own homework. Yeah, but it's, it's I was just like I was just trying to think about the fact of that, and just to you know to let everybody know that you know that's how many you know that's how many members, even even you know ten thousand, that's ten thousand members that are voting on oh, yeah. their 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 peers on the music. It is not just a bunch of people in a room that's just like you know, picking no. from the nominations, who's going to win it. It is a, it is a voting process. Yes. And they're very, very, they take that process extremely serious. Um, they're very vigilant on it. They have an outside auditing company, Deloitte oversees the entire thing. They're very, very, um, very serious about it actually. Absolutely. And, you know, even, even Neil at the time, Neil Portnow was the president and even Neil, the night of the show, um, he, he was also learning who the winner was in that exact moment with everybody else. 
you know, okay, maybe he knew like the morning, but <laughs> basically we yeah. all learn at the same time as, as the public, you know, they're, that's how, how tight they keep it all. Yeah. And it's, it's good for people to know. And it's also just as important to know about the voting process of the Grammys. But like you said, the, all the different programs, there's a uh, music cares, which is, as you, you know, mentioned is a support for lots of musicians that, you know, they did a fantastic job, especially during the pandemic and in financially assisting oh, yeah. artists that couldn't go on tour anymore. Um, there's a district district advocate day where a bunch of members get together and speak exactly. to, you know, speak to our, our Congress people about all kinds of issues that are important to the music community. Yep. So there's a lot that the recording Academy does. They do. And, and the only way to be a part of that is to join, you know, the base and be a part and contribute. And um, outside of membership dues, it, it, there's no, you know, there's no financial ask or risk. It's entirely nonprofit, you know, and, um, and the yeah. membership dues are not that much either. Like I'm not gonna say specifically the price of them, but they're they're really honestly, it's very affordable to join. Um, they did change the rules of how to join right now, so now you need a couple recommendations, which hence the networking thing we're talking about right now is why it's so important. So and they have graduating need... classes now, right? Isn't that part of it too? Yeah, I think they do now graduating classes, so they do this in kind of cycles. So it's a little bit of a different process to join, but really like, you know, do your homework because if you go online the, on their website, it tells you all the information about how to join. And, you know, I have to say it's definitely one of the, you know, one of the best decisions I made as a professional was to join this organization because it really did open my eyes up to how much is involved and really got me connected with some amazing people in the industry um, because of it. So, um, yeah, this is not definitely not a necessarily an advertising specifically for Cotton Academy, but I do highly recommend to at least do your research because it is a great resource for both as a musician um, and as well as anybody who's involved in the uh, in the music business. Yeah, and I can look, I can tell you, I worked there for 10 years. And yes, did I have my bad days and did I see the things that were were frustrating to me and politically gross? And I mean, absolutely. I think that would be at any any company, any organization. Um uh, but I can tell you that I saw way more good come out of that place than, than bad, way more. You know, my sister is actively an employee for the Grammy Foundation, for the Grammy Museum. Sorry, Julie. I don't know how they word it now. Um, but, you know, working with high schoolers and um, giving money to um, high schools that, that need assistance for their music programs. Um, you know, helping kids who are amazing at their craft or at their instrument or at their you know, at, at production or music, um, uh, at writing, at reviews. And I forgot what that track was called, but, you know, giving this opportunity for these kids at a young age to mix with each other and network with professionals and, and, and get a taste of what LA or the recording studio, they record at Capitol Records, or this is the process. Um, you know, so many Grammy campers, Marin Morris uh, was a Grammy camper. I mean, there's actually many famous people who were Grammy campers and and it's something that they definitely attribute to their success. You know, it helped them get out of their shell. It helped them learn the writing process or, or, you know, any number of things like that. But the addiction recovery stuff, oh my God, you guys, I've, I've seen and heard beautiful stories of, of recovering addicts and they get this support from their own community and they get financial assistance, like you mentioned, when their trailers are stolen, when they're on tour, and now they don't have any way of supporting their life, their career, their lifestyle. And, there's a lot of really good things that come out of there. Absolutely. So you mentioned being there for 10 years and then moved up the chain. Um, I mean, to, you know, 
to ahead of you know rock alternative metal, which is you know that's a big deal. Can you talk more about uh, what you did internally in the organization to help you progress within the organization itself to that level? I can, yeah. Um, I'm very grateful that I got that when I when I went to the Grammys and I was um, an assistant to one of the executives. I I didn't really know much about the company. I didn't know this, you know, the teams, the structure. And as soon as I learned that there was a team and their entire job, as far as I knew at the time, was to just listen to new music that came out in their specified genre, like that, I knew immediately that's the job that I wanted. I was like, you're telling me someone gets paid every single day to listen to what comes out and in, in is classified as alternative rock and metal. Like that's a job. Um, and I knew I wanted that job. I wanted that job for for the first four or five years I was there before I ended up being lucky enough to have the opportunity to get it. Um, and frankly, I think, I think for me, I think one of my biggest strengths are, is my um, ability to just get along with people. I love interacting with people. And I think that really, really played into it for me. Um, I, I had relationships with the people who were making the decisions or the people who had left the position to give me insight on what you need, what skills you need. Um, and I kind of worked backwards and saw the, the stepping stones myself to get to that position. You know, you couldn't get in that position if you didn't have an understanding of the words process. So I was like, okay, what's like an entry level or what would be the next step for me, but entry level to the awards team, right? And definitely that was like the, the library coordinator for sure. So that's, you get a good understanding of the process. You meet all the players. You start going to these offsite meetings where all the executives show up to, to screen together and classify music. Um, yeah, and it certainly didn't, didn't hurt that I am from that community personally. You know, I have tattoos and I'm, I have weird hair and, you know, I'm obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely check. That's definitely a checkbox. <laughs> Yeah, so, that's amazing. Um, so now that you're in in this position, um, you know, and, and understanding, you know, throughout the entire way about, you know, what it basically would take to be in that position. Can you talk about some of the uh, I always love to talk to you about the uh, challenges of uh, different roles. Can you talk about maybe some uh, challenges you face now that you are in this position and maybe if you have an uh, example or two that you can share? Yeah, when I was at the academy, right? Yes. So I'll tell you this. Um, my one of my old friends, roommates, and the drummer of my last band um, said something once because he, the, him, and Nate, the guy I mentioned before, they worked together and met at a the record plant, which is a pretty known studio here in LA. And he told me a story once about how he had spent so much time listening to engineers and producers, um, the studio owners, about what they thought was good, what they liked, what they didn't like. Um, that and he, you know, in an effort to please, in an effort to, um, you know, be liked, and this definitely applies to me, by the way. Um, he would agree with a lot of these things, and he realized at some point a few years in that he didn't even know what his own opinion was um, of a lot of music, and that was a big thing for me because when I was at the Grammys, one of the biggest challenges I had in my first couple of years in that job, I didn't know what my own opinion was about what I was listening to. I, and I don't just mean if I liked it or not, I do mean that, you know, it was hard to separate if, if it was actually good or if it was just hyped up or, um, you know, for any number of reasons why everyone is talking about something or excited about something. Um, 
And then a big part of the job, as we were saying, is, is genre classification. You know, when you hear something come in and you're listening to music all day, every day for months, like you have to stay vigilant on every single entry. You treat each entry very, very preciously because somebody spent God knows how many years, dollars, and everything before that, learning their instrument, learning how to write songs to get to this point where they created this thing. They've now submitted it to you. You know, it's very, I took that very, I felt that pressure on every entry, you know, whether it was good or bad, you know, it is almost irrelevant, you know, because the whole purpose is just to classify it genres, genre wise, which is its own thing. And that, that's actually a very short answer. That one, that could easily be a challenge. Classifying music is so bogus. Like trying to put something creative into a box is just never there are straightforward rock songs or straightforward country songs or straightforward every songs, but a lot of it's not like that these days or blending genres. So that's, that was a challenge, but where I was trying to go with what I was, gosh, just talking too much on, I'm sorry, is that I kind of lost sight of what my own opinion was on a lot of this music. I just really did. Um, probably volume has a lot to do with that, but I had to like have a moment with myself to be like, wait, what is my opinion on this track? What genre is this? You know, I had to like trust myself, trust my ears. Um, yeah, so that was definitely one. Not the juiciest answer, <laughs> but a thing. Do you have any uh, any memorable moments um, from your time uh, working at the Recording Academy? Like oh, yeah. Anything that really sticks out? Yeah, especially in the early days when I, when I was... Um, an assistant those first couple of years, um, I got thrown into a lot of um, events and, and things to work because um, I could. And because, you know, bottom of the food chain, like that's who they go to. I mean, my God, I, I, I was, um, I mean, I've escorted, God, Stevie one. I mean, I've met presidents, I've met legends, uh, I've met people that like, you know, like, like Stevie Wonder is a great, I love this story actually. So I was his personal escort for an event one day for like eight hours. And I spent all day with this guy and he was holding onto my arm and I walked him around this venue for eight hours. And I checked on him every 20 minutes, like, Hey, Stevie, do you need any water? Do you need anything? Like whatever. And he didn't have a handler with him. They just gave him to me, you know, and he was my responsibility for like this whole eight hours is maybe exaggerated, maybe like five hours. But like, that was unreal to me. I always think about that. Like, I remember seeing Prince, like, you know, I, I sat Prince at a table at one of the Grammy week events and him just being like, cool. And I was just like, did he say kiss or did he say cool? <laughs> I wanted him to say kiss. Um, but you know, like I've, I mean, I'm in pictures with, and incidentally, not, not intentionally, like I'm in pictures with Beyonce, with Taylor Swift. I'm, I was the Grammys. I was the statue caretaker um, uh, backstage for many years. I worked with Danny Clinch directly. I was his, his, his guy. Um, he's the, um, he's a very famous rock photographer, but um, he, he's always hired to be the backstage photographer for winners and for presenters and performers. And so I've got all these pictures that exist in real life of me holding statues, you know, with these celebrities and Beyonce's pregnant and Bieber high-fiving me. And I don't know. I mean, just, I've seen all that crazy stuff, you know, and, and that's just the Grammys. I met my wife at the Grammys. Um, you know, we, we got engaged at the Grammys. Um, I don't know. You know, it's a very special place. I've, it's wow. a magical night. Yeah. 
That's incredible. Mm -hmm. So I probably should have led with, I met my wife at the Grammys. That would have been the smart answer. Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah. We'll, <laughs> we'll Can you pretend that. So that's the first thing. <laughs> that's the first thing. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just pretend that was the first thing. <laughs> my so, wife's Beyonce, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> She's better than Beyonce. <laughs> there you go. That's the right, right answer. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so what made you then uh, decide that you wanted to to move on um, from the Recording Academy? Well, I I think I realized a couple years into my the job that I left there that there really wasn't much room for growth. Um, I think the growth would have been mostly in title and sat and salary, but I, I I knew that I was missing a lot of um, a lot of knowledge on the music business. Someone had broken down the music business into three steps. I'll never forget this. Her name was Jenny Duga. She had my job before I did, two people before I did. Um, she told me, she was like, the music business, if you really dumb it down, is three, three parts or three steps. The first step is all creative and every job that fits in here, right? So you're creating the music. So you're the musician, you're in the studio, um, songwriter. I mean, literally any job associated with creating a record or writing music or recording music is in this first step. Second step is the promotion of that creation. So then there's labels, live music. Um, I mean, my God, radio, uh, you know, sync, licensing, whatever. Anything that's about getting that music heard. She's like, we're like the third step. She's like, we have nothing to do with any of that. She's like, we just kind of reward steps one and two. You know, we're like not really in the music business. We're kind of, she, well, someone actually other than that said, we're not in the music business, we're in the TV business and it's, and it's fueled by music. And those two things, I think about them, I, th I thought about them a lot when I worked there and I was like, you know what? Like, I'm so grateful. I've met all these amazing people these years, had amazing, gone to events and parties and whatever, but like I'm missing out on step one and step two. You know, I get to work with artists, but I'm not working with them in, in the first step, which I think is what I was always mostly interested in. So, that's where it kind of started in my brain anyways, is I was like, okay, I, I need to start looking for how am I going to be a part of step one or step two? Um, and one of the, uh, one of my committee members um, at the time was a president of, of Fearless Records where I'm now at. And, you know, we had gone out to dinner and I remember like, I remember I used to kind of joke like, man, I'd love to work with you just kind of slowly or, you know, slyly fit it in like that. But then one night I was like, no, no, you don't understand. I, I'd really like to work at with you at Fearless. I would love to. I grew up on your artists. Like, you know, I just kind of like shot my shot. Um, and I think maybe like the next day or something, she she hit me up and she texted like, were you serious last night, by the way? Like, would you actually want to work here? And I was like, yes, I would, you know? Um, and so I, it, that's kind of how it happened. Um, and again, it was just about th that right there was just about a relationship I had. And it was about saying yes, like things we're talking about. And, um, you know, but it was also, and, and I think, and I don't think I've t said this yet, but I, I impressed her. I worked really hard for many years and I, she had seen me do things when we were, you know, I used to interview her bands, like at the Alternative Press Music Awards. I, I went with the Grammys and I would sit backstage at these events interviewing her bands because it's something else I like to do. So she saw me do that. She saw me run these committee meetings. She saw my communication on email, you know, professionally. 
and and that's just how I think it all happened. Grateful, yeah. So you then got a job as product manager over at Fearless Records. Yeah. So which obviously is quite different. So you can talk a little bit about uh, what you do as product manager and some of the uh, the differences of the roles. For sure, and I'll tell you really quick. The first and the biggest difference are the languages. So this, I now work at a label and it's still considered an independent label. We're owned by Concord, um, which is an independent label. I think it's, they call it the, I think it's the largest independent label. I think I've heard in the halls, which I haven't been in for 18 months. Um, but the language was entirely different. I had for 10 years mastered this academy, you know, spiel this like in that language. Um, and I didn't know, I didn't speak the language that I watched people speak. So this is why I thought I spoke it because I had all these committee members and these meetings and things were with label heads and the heads of A&R and the heads of XYZ. And so because I was around that, I was convinced that I could speak it. I was so completely wrong. Like it is an entirely new language um, talking about rollouts and instant grats and you know all of these things that now are, I'm, I'm great with. But that was one of the biggest challenges was speaking, you know, talking the talk. Um, but um, what was your, the first part of that question, Mike? Sorry. I was going to ask, so you, what, you, know, you got this job as product manager. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, what a project, uh, product manager does? Yeah, um, it's funny because you did a little Freudian slip there because that is essentially what it is. It's, it's called project. product manager, but it is project manager. Project manager. So yeah. It just has everything to do with managing the budget for a release. You know, and that's broken up into all these buckets of digital and advertising and artwork and music videos and publicity, international, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, so you're managing the budgets for release. Um, you're literally in charge of everything. One of the guys on our AR team always says it like this AR is in charge of everything you hear, product manager is in charge of everything you see. And it's a really simple way of explaining it, but it actually does largely cover the bases. So, like, the physical product itself, right? The packaging, um, the configurations, the vinyl colors, the variants, right? All that to the music videos, to um, the photo shoots, um, the bio, uh, the press kits, you know, everything like that. But to quote um, our head of label, uh, of the labels, his name's Tom Wally at Concord. He told me once, he goes, Mark, what do you think a product manager does? And I basically just said kind of what I said. And it was like a textbook. Oh, he's like, okay, yeah, that is what a product manager does. He's like, he's like, but what I think a product manager should be is the person who is driving the vision of your artist every single day, every single day. And, um, you know, that's really stuck with me too. And so now I think about that and I feel that very heavy. This is going to be a trend with everything I ever say. Like, I take it very serious that all of our artists, you know, most of them have second jobs um, while they're also these, you know, touring, you know, known within our circle musicians selling records, you know, um, but it's their life. And I take that really serious because, you know, I, I don't know, because I guess I was in bands and I remember that struggle and uh, I don't know. I mean, they're not struggling like I was, right. They're doing a little bit better than that, but yeah. It, I think about that a lot. Like a part of the way our, it works at Concord and Fearless anyways, is I spend most days in meetings with different teams, our stream team, international team, I mean, sales team, anyone. And you're just, because they're working on all the records, all of them. So I have to like go in there with my family of bands and like 
and sell it, you know, be like, this is why you should be excited about that. This is so awesome. This is the, you know, it's got the return of their original singer. Um, it's got, you know, they're working with this producer, they're collaborating with this artist, you know, you have to, you have to get people excited to want to work hard for your artist, you know? So what is the relationship like now with, with artists? Because as you mentioned before, you were essentially step three when you were in the recording academy and now you're in step two uh, in the music industry. So can you talk about how the change of dynamic with your relationship with artists? Yeah. So I'll tell you this. It's funny because I, I was behind the curtain behind the, you know, the wizard of Oz curtain at the Grammys for so many years. I noticed that artists were very, very nice to me because they thought I could help them get nominated or I could help them win, you know? Um, which was never, ever true. I mean, I knew I have a lot of insight and I, I think we talked about this our last call, but, you know, I did know some of the ins and outs and ways that you could, you know, not work the system, that's the wrong phrase, but, you know, stretch your record to be entered in more, more than one year or, you know, just little rule holes like that or something. Um, the inverse of that is not now that artists are not nice to me. It's just that now, um, it's collaborative. We're together. We're, we're figuring stuff out together. We're always brainstorming, strategizing, you know, trying to think of something new that fans haven't seen or, or frankly, fixing a problem, you know, something that um, didn't go out the way they thought. Um, it's just way more like hand in hand. And I think that is what I always wanted. I wanted to be in there creating with, with these artists, you know, be a part of that process so that one day my son We'll go to a record store, knock on wood, they're still alive, hopefully, record stores that is. And we can look around and they can be like, whoa, like you worked on this. Like, here's your name, it's in here. Like that would, that's so cool to me, you know? Um, so I think that's probably the biggest difference I noticed between the artist relationship. Before they were, it was like they were, they were trying to like, like they were taking me out. They would take me out to dinners and they would take me out to parties and, have me, you know, get picked up in cars. And now I'm like taking my bands out to dinner, you know, and in that kind of thing, it's a little bit different, you know, the, the expectations have changed, you know, where the expectation before was the artist wanted to get to know you because you, you know, were inside the recording Academy and you had the, you know, knew those in and outs of, of how the recording Academy worked. Now you are, rep you know, essentially representing these artists, you're representing their vision. Yeah. Uh, for their work. So there's, there's a different level of expectation. Cause now, like you said, you're now, you're directly collaborating. It's not necessarily, you know, about the acknowledgement of their work. You actually are collaborating on the work. Yeah. I mean, and gosh, and I, 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 none of us would be here without them to begin with, you know, like I said, I have nothing to do with the recording process. I'm lucky enough to be sent demos and stuff all the time, but I don't, I don't weigh in on, on, um, you know, a musical note, you know, musical notes. I mean, notes as it relates to creating the music, you know, I stay completely out of the way. I let A&R do their thing. I let the band, I trust the band, they're experts at what they do. They know what they like. They know what their fans like. You know, honestly, Mark, that's the other thing too, is that uh, that's always been my sense. Even, you know, as a label head, you know, I basically have done every single role imaginable as a label and uh, including a and r and, and, you know, there's an interesting dynamic about a and r and uh, I, this is just my own personal preference is that, you know, I will always provide two cents to an artist if they ask for it. 
but the way I always look at it too is that if I am representing an artist or you know, A21 Records representing artist, it's because we trust their creative vision. Yeah, you signed them because of what they were already doing. Exactly. Know? So it might help guide them. Like, get, you know, so, th okay, these are the things you want to accomplish. Great. I'll help guide you or maybe give you some feedback. But there's been, you know, unless it's like a very big reason why, like, it's like either something recorded is literally illegal or something, ex yeah. you know, extremely controversial that, which fortunately, I mean, we really had n very little of those, if any, um, those kind of situations come up. But like, unless there was something that where it would really hinder or, or harm the artist, um, you know, because of the direction they want to go, uh, you know, honestly, I just, I just say my two cents, like sometime, because at the end of the day too, you know, you know, maybe, maybe in our a &R is like, why are you saying this? But at the end of the day, nobody really knows what's going to work or not work. No, like, yeah. Honestly, we... Nobody, nobody really knows. Like we, we, we may have trained ears like of what sounds good, but, mm -hmm. but there's so many factors that have oh, yeah. to, that have to work out to make a, make a song success. In fact, one of the things I tell artists these days, um, in fact, before I even sign them, I always tell them this now, and that is when we do things together, the majority of things that we're going to do are going to fail. It's not about the failures. It's about the successes. It's about finding the successes together. And when we fail, we fail small. And then we, when we succeed, we succeed as big as we possibly can. Yeah. And setting that because it's so true is that you can have everything right. You can have a song that you are know for a fact is going to be a hit single. Like you just know it, right? It's like in your gut, like, oh, this song is going to be so good. And you have the right budget in place. You have the right people involved. You have the right producer and the right credibility. Like you have all those things in place and it still didn't do well. Yeah. It still happens because either it was just wrong timing or just you thought people really liked them. People didn't like it. Um, who, you know, who knows, right? There are so many things that could go wrong in that scenario. And I've seen the complete opposite happen where there was a song you're like, single like, eh, it's cool. You know, it's not the greatest, but let's like put it out there and see what happens with very little push, just to kind of see what happens. And that ends up being the biggest hit. So oh, yeah, we, we saw that all the time at the Grammys. And the way we saw that is because artists or labels wouldn't even submit the song. They would submit a, a, a one, one song by the artist, right? Um, I guess I can say this, but like, you know, I forgot what they, but like Drake, right? So Drake entered, if this is a few years ago, entered, uh, I can't remember what song they entered, but then they released um, Hotline Bling. And Hotline Bling was an internet sensation, right? Turned into one of the biggest meme generators of ever at the time. Um, it still is. Actually, it's an option right now. Oh, please have this. Please have this. Come is there a on. Zoom option? I had it. Oh, I had it. Where is it? I had it as a virtual background on my Zoom. I was just going to show oh, you. Anyway. Oh, man. Um, but, you know, we, the entry period was well past. You couldn't make entries anymore. Like, no one could help you. President, no one could help you. But they were freaking out because this song that they weren't even considering blew up. And so it missed its year of eligibility because of it, you know, and that's just one example, but that happens just like you said, all the time. We all work very hard and we gather data and we studied this data and we're checking trends on all these platforms. We're doing all these things all the time and it, and it can help. And it's just trying to build up our arsenal of knowledge to make better decisions. But like you said, there are just so many factors that play and, so, and most of them we don't even know because they change all the time, you know? Right.
Exactly. I mean, you know, our industry changes so much so frequently. And, you know, what was relevant yesterday may not be even relevant tomorrow, or there's a brand new opportunity that we didn't even know existed. So, but that's the thing is like, I think all these things are important. I think it's so important to do your research. It's important to have a team because it's not guaranteed success. It just gives you a greater chance. Yeah. That's all you're trying to do. You're just trying to improve your chances of connecting with more listeners. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like in listeners or, I mean, then the next step beyond that is converting listeners into fans, you know, and, and that's its own process, you know, and that takes a different sort of hustle and, and dedication, you know, that takes time. It takes a lot of time. Thank you for saying that. I feel like not enough people remember that aspect because we're, we're always getting hit with these overnight success stories, or you see these, these shows, right? These uh, competition shows where, you go on, you have a beautiful voice and you get the deal or, or whatever the, the show is. Right. Um, but that is just not how 99% of successful artists, musicians, you know, make it happen. They make it happen by years of grinding and winning over fans and just over and over and over again, you know, and that's true for most bands most. you've ever heard of. Absolutely. And the overnight successes, even though like, yes, there are some cases where there is a truly sure. overnight success. I mean, that does happen. Yeah. Um, honestly, you probably have a better chance winning the lottery than oh, having yeah. that happen. So those d- that does happen. But more likely than not, the ones that you consider an overnight success are usually already in the game for at least five to 10 years. And All I right. can tell you so right. many examples of of you know of people that I know personally who've became successful um, that they originally were you know, we're basically in it for at least five or 10 years. I agreed. I mean, that's true for so, so many, like, um, God, who was the one I was just talking about yesterday? Gosh, who was it? Oh man. We're talking about this artist though, that like they look and they appear to be very young. Um, and they kind of appeared of nowhere. Right. But in reality, they're not that young. And in reality, they've been trying to do this forever, forever, ever, ever. And, and only this, you know, they've been very focused on it. I can't forget. And now this story is meaningless. You should just cut it. But yeah, it's, that's exactly the case though for so many, you know, I mean, I'm telling you, I have, there's 30, 30 odd artists on, on Fearless and outside of our scene or community, most people haven't heard of the majority of our bands or our artists. You know, I think that's really interesting because in our world, these guys are selling 2,000, 3,000 tickets a night. They're doing, they're touring the world most of the year. Um, you know, we've, we're now certifying so many of these things as gold, some even platinum, but outside of our scene might not be known, you know? And I think that's what happens is when somebody breaks out of their little scene or their community, then all of a sudden people are like, they came out of nowhere, but really they've been, you know, there is definitely a group of dedicated fans and people who have been following this career for ages. hundred percent. And then a lot of people too, they, you know, they also look at, you know, especially when you're a little bit older, you look at the people that are getting a lot of recognition in their late teens and early twenties, when they don't realize the fact that the reason why they're getting that success so young is that they started their career when they were like, when they're like 13, 14, 15 years old. Also true. Yeah. You know, they just start, it's not that, it's not that they 
you know, simply just got lucky is that just like they started even earlier than a lot of people. Like most people, if they're serious about it, will start when they're like 17, 18 years old, maybe, or their early 20s, right? It's either like right when they're in high school and, and, and forming bands, whatever the case is, or it's during college, right? That's the time that you're usually going to start. They're going to start working on, you know, doing something in the music community. Yeah. And uh, but you know, the people that started, sometimes they start super young where it's like, you know, 13, 14, 15 years old, they'll start like professionally performing, um, or doing, you know, doing things. And, um, so they just got a, they just got an earlier head start. That's really what it came down to. It is, you know, and that's, a, and I think about that a lot because now I'm a parent, I'm a dad and I have a four-year-old and I think about that constantly. It's like a mix for me of like, I want to expose him to everything musical that I can. But at the same time, I don't want to force it down his throat, but should he end up becoming personally very interested in it, he will have had experience with it at a very young age, you know? And I, that's probably true for any professional in any field or any athlete, you know, they're your, your child or your family or anyone that is exposed um, young. And should they be, should that be something they want to do? And I really believe like it should be, their choice. And I think that actually probably increases, I don't know, I think anyways, probably increases his chances of wanting to do it. If I just let him kind of discover it himself, even, even though I'm providing these moments of discovery, then maybe that will increase his chances of wanting to do it as well. You know, but um, I don't know. Yeah. I think about that time. Carly Rae Jepsen was an example. So like when call me, I was, this is what I was just Googling. What year did um call me maybe? Oh, that's a good question. That that was early 2010s, if I remember correctly. 2012. Okay, so in 2012, she was 26 years old. So when when Call Me Maybe came out, I think most people, myself included, thought she was like a teenager, because the label had had styled her young. Her makeup was very young. Um, the video was very very bubblegum and just very safe and clean. It just all was presented really young. And 26 is totally young, totally young. But the listeners of that song, right, were all teenagers and teenage girls. And like, they were trying to make her more, I don't know. I was, I was obviously not a part of any of this. So I'm just guessing. But it appeared that she was being presented in, in a much younger way. But in reality, she was 26 years old. And so I think that's just interesting. That's like watching actors who you know are in their 20s you can literally look it up and you know they're in twice, sometimes 30s and they're playing high schoolers. You know what yep, I mean? Because they look the part. Yep. If that's, you know, it's all part of that. It's just part of that sale, you know? Um, and sometimes also too, I've seen this happen, which uh, I'm always honestly about 50-50 on this concept is artists that reboot themselves. Hmm. So um, I honestly, I, I don't know what your thoughts are on that one, but and for me, that's a kind of... Uh, you know, an interesting territory because I feel like that it's important for, you know, for both of yourself as an artist and for others to know that when you have a, you know, when you have a history and when you have a past that led you up to this particular moment. Uh, but I also understand too, that sometimes it is important to essentially reinvent yourself. So again, if it's like a complete rebrand or you're doing a completely different uh, mu uh, musical style, for example, things like that, that to me is a different a project even if it's just you as a solo artist to sure. me that's i consider that a different project but if it's the same type of sound and same type of visual branding and things like that too even if let's say your prior releases did not do as well as you hoped it would 
is still important as part of your journey. Cause I feel like if you were moving that part of your journey and like, Oh, I just, you know, overnight success and I just made it big. That's a huge misconception. And I think that um, to me, that is, you know, that again, that's maybe not as genuine, but also too, I feel like that can be potentially dangerous for up, you know, for musicians that are upcoming, like, Oh, this person just made it big overnight. In reality, no, there's there is hard work that's involved behind it. And frankly, you should be proud of that. You should you be should proud be of the proud fact. Of you should be very proud of that. And I think that's a very strong message for young people too, especially young creatives who are, you know, stereotypically, um, you know, more sensitive or uh, maybe even like, like imagine like being, I don't know, say 15, 16, and you're starting to get pretty proficient in an instrument, or if that instrument's your voice or in songwriting or whatever. And if you're only, if your only idols are, are artists, you believe just kind of it happened overnight. If it doesn't happen for you, you're going to give it up. And that's, that's really disappointing, you know? Yep. Or they get, they get to, I mean, and it's a big issue is a lot of them get mentally depressed because they're, they don't feel like they're good enough or, you know, I mean, I'm sure you've heard this so many times the musicians have been, that have been around for five, 10 years and haven't achieved the level of success that they've wanted. And then they think to themselves, what's wrong with them? And I mean, cause it's so, there's no guarantees of when it's going to happen. And, you know, just like you were talking about before about your own career is that, you know, sometimes it takes a long time. I mean, it took five years with in the, you know, within the company that you want to get the job for to take, get that job. It took totally. a long and, time. And I feel like I still have so much more to go. You know, I, I would love to continue growing and learning. And there, I actually had my review today and I talked so much about this. It was just like, what are the aspects of our, our business or of releasing a record or creating, you know, you know, this, this product that I want to know more on, or, you know, and you have to want to chase that down because I want to be doing this for a long time and I want to be super well-rounded. And I'm so glad I had those years as an assistant. I'm so glad I had the years as a library, co- library coordinator, you know, and because that got my hands on. So there's this like three year window of releases. Like, what would that be? 2000, like a, um, maybe to carry the one like 2012 to 2015, maybe I, I can recognize every single thing that was released and, and was an entry into the Grammy process just by looking at it. Cause I spent so much time with that stuff for three years, you know, and it just became this useless part of my brain. I never knew I was accidentally memorizing all of these album covers, you know? Um, I don't even know why I said that, but, but yes. Um, Whatever you just said, Mike, was entirely wise and correct. (laughs) (laughs) I try. (laughs) I appreciate that. Well, I want to thank you so, so much, Mark, for being uh, an interview uh, in this interview. Oh, see, now you messed me up. See, I'm going <laughs> to blame you for this one. <laughs> no, I man. I almost got this. almost got this. But thank you so much for being a guest. I, re- I really had a blast with you. So thank you so much again. Oh, thank you, man. I, I hope something I said was interesting. And I'm so sorry. for. I'm, I get so winded. I'm very excited to be here. And I'm very excited to talk to you specifically about all this. Um, it, it is, it's actually been very, it's reminded me why I love this, which I think I really needed right now too, because we're just working so hard and we're in our little zone on my little computer all day. And so it is, it's good to, to remember we do this because we love it and, you know, and anything worth doing is, is going to be challenging and worth doing right. Oh God, I am a dad. <laughs> there you go. 
we'll we'll end on that though. So thank you so much again. Thanks, Mike. Real quick, before I let you all go, I want to take the opportunity to really appreciate the fact of all of you listening to the podcast. I've been honestly looking for ways on how to improve the show moving forward. So if you have any ideas or suggestions on what else we can do that you would like to hear or any other ways that we can engage with you, I would love to hear about it. So whenever you have a chance, you can email me. My personal email address is Mike, that's M-I-K-E, at 8020records.com. Or you can engage with us on any of our social media and just at 8020records on Instagram, Facebook, whatever the case is. Just shoot us a DM. Let us know what you guys are thinking about the uh, the whole show in general. And uh, really do appreciate it. So thank you again so much for all of you listening. It means the world to me. Thank you so much for listening to The 8020 Show. If you haven't already, please subscribe or follow. If you enjoyed the episode or this podcast overall, please leave us a review or comment on our socials, which you can find us at 8020records on pretty much all platforms. You can also check us out on our website at www.8020records.com. And as always, be happy, be healthy, and be productive.